0: Well, good morning. I I do invite you to turn in your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, and as you are turning there, just a reminder, we are in two series of messages at once. We're in a large series called Simply In. What does it mean to be in Christ? There is perhaps no part of the Bible that teaches us more deeply and wonderfully what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be in Jesus more than the book of Ephesians does and then inside of that large series we are doing a smaller series called in Christ in the church and this series is a message through chapters the end of chapter 2 down through chapter 4 about life in the church, life as members of the body of Christ. What does it look like? What is God designing it to be? And we're coinciding this series with our first Risen Hope Church Explore membership uh, course. Those, there are at least 25 of you who have signed up for the membership course. We are simply thrilled with that. Uh, so you're reading along. If you haven't got the materials, they are in the back. Uh, but many are reading along. If you're wanting to tie today's message to the book, it's session one in the book. Uh, next week, uh, we are doing session three in the book, looking at the person and work and gifts of the Holy Spirit and how those gifts, how the Spirit is still working today through his presence and through his power in our lives. So that's next week. But the goal is that God would join us together as as brothers and sisters in the church for his glory. And so, to that end, let's read beginning in chapter 3 and verse 1, and then I'll pray and ask the Lord to, to be with us. Paul writes, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ, Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise, that is the promised Holy Spirit, in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of of Christ. Let's pray. O oh Lord above, our Father in heaven, please stir in all of us a faith that triumphs over fear when we think about being part of the church. Give to us, Lord, a commitment that that vanquishes caution and trembling so that each and every one of us will find a church home where the gospel is preached, where the Bible is reverenced, where the mission is joined, where God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is adored. Father, grant that each of us would find such a home and live there and dwell there and serve there. Father, this morning we think of such homes, such dwellings, such local churches. We we think of the Sovereign Grace Church, our sister church in Marlton, and Warren Betcher, our dear brother in the Lord, and his team of leaders there. We just pray that you would bless them this morning. Or, Father, we think of Crossway Church in Lancaster, and Pete Privatera, and our dear brothers and sisters there, and pray that you would... Bless them with your presence. Or, Father, we think of Crossroads Community Church right here in Upper Darby with their, their new senior pastor, Michael Quillen. We just pray that you would bless that church that has so long preached the gospel and reverenced Jesus and loved you, Father, Son, and Spirit. Father, may your blessing be on these churches as we pray for your blessing on this church even now as we hear your word in Jesus name amen amen well as we as we look at this text of scripture this morning we want to take some time really almost to pause in the flow of our of our exposition our unpacking of Ephesians to 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 look at some very specific truth specifically truth about the scriptures, or truth about the Bible, the Word of God. This is truth that is hinted at, it's assumed in the text. Uh, Paul, as he writes this, is assuming that we as the readers are going to have a certain understanding of scripture, a certain understanding of his writing. And uh, we want to make sure that what's assumed in the text doesn't stay assumed, that it is clear, that it is compelling uh, to our hearts and to our faith and to our lives let me give you a little context you'll remember this from the last couple of messages paul was on mission in these chapters he was willing he says in verse one to be a prisoner for christ's sake in order to proclaim jesus to peoples and ethnicities to jews and gentiles alike He had received a revelation from the Lord. He had received this word, this unexpected development that had been revealed to him by God. That the gospel was not just for the Jewish people, but it was also for Gentiles. We need to be thankful for that. Because in this room, overwhelmingly are Gentiles. In the Bible, there's really only two major ethnicities. You're either Jewish or you're Gentile. You're one of the ancient people of God or or you're one of those that God, through the revealing of this mystery, now makes known to us. We are included by faith, just like the Jewish people. We Gentiles are added in. And Andy showed us last week that that's really the motivation for all missions. Because we know that God's intention is to save people everywhere, of every shade, of every size, of every color, of every culture. They're all intended to be a part of the body of Christ. They're all intended to be a part of the Lord's church. Now, it's as Paul teaches this and shows us this that he says some things that I want to make sure we we do push the pause button and we notice these things. Let me begin with a summary of where we're going to go this morning. The summary goes like this. God has spoken the mysteries of his love in the pages of his word. God has spoken the mysteries of his love in the pages of his word for us to learn and love and live. God has spoken the mysteries of his love in the pages of his word for us to learn and love and live. Let's, Let's see that from the text by looking at three ideas that are in the text. Simple ideas. Idea number one is going to be God has spoken. Idea number two is going to be what God spoke, men wrote. And then idea number three is when God spoke, he told a story. So those are the three thoughts, beginning with God has spoken. Notice verse 2, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery... That's the mystery, the the hidden thing that the Gentiles are part of God's plan of love and his, his, his mystery of love. How that mystery was made known to me, Paul says, by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets, By the Spirit. This this text teaches us that God has spoken. God has made things known. He has revealed things that used to be hidden. He asserts here, Paul does, that the Holy Spirit revealed things to him. God's Spirit spoke to him. Truth that had been hidden was now revealed. And Paul's business was simply to deliver that truth to us. God has spoken. God is not silent. God has spoken. You may may remember that Jesus promised that this was going to happen to to the apostles in John 16 and verse 13. He promised when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And The twelve apostles and Paul received that promise fulfilled. The Spirit guided them into all the truth. Everything that we need to know in order to believe and in order to live the whole truth of who God is and how we are to relate to him, that was given to the apostles and they delivered it to us. God has spoken. This is radical, folks. This, this is a truth that is, that is, in case you haven't been aware, this, this is a truth under fire in our generation. It's been under fire in every generation. It was under fire back in the Garden of Eden when when Satan said to Eve, has God really said? The, the, The fact that God has spoken has always been attacked by the enemy. But it's at the core of our faith as Christians. At the core of our faith is that our religion, our faith is not us searching for God and discovering God. But it's God searching for us and disclosing himself to us. In today's world, religion is looked at, well, How do I like to think about God? What is my perspective on God? It's irrelevant what you like to think of when you think of God. Your perspective on God doesn't matter. What matters is how he discloses himself to us. Who he really is and how he has revealed himself to us. It's not about us discovering him. It's about him disclosing himself to us. God has spoken. God has. Has spoken. And so the big question of our life, just fundamentally as we start this morning, is do we think of God as we like to think of him? Assuming that he's silent and somehow or other we're to stumble and bumble along in the dark to try to find him. Or do we think of God as he has revealed himself to be? Do we live aware? That God has spoken. Someone here may say, "Well, you know, Tim, that's that's all fine and good, but uh, even if He has spoken, Paul lived a long time ago. So, what good is that to us? Not much good in God speaking to ancient men. Well, that's why we need truth number two. Truth number one: God has spoken. Truth number two: What God spoke, men wrote. What God spoke, men wrote. And we can, we can miss this so easily in the text uh, because Paul assumes that we're going to get it. But he, you know, notice what he says in verse 3. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I have written, briefly, when you read this, You can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. There's two two assumptions there in the text. Two claims really that Paul is making. The first one is that what God spoke, he wrote. I have written this briefly. So Paul wrote down what he received from the Lord. And why did he do that? Verse 5. Or four, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. So what God spoke, men wrote so that we could read it. So that we could, through the reading of it, perceive it, understand it. Come to grips with it, be affected by it, learn to love it and live it. God spoke men wrote. That's the way, really, it has always been in the plan and purposes of God. What do we call, what did the ancients, and still many times we say this, what, what did the ancients call the Bible? They didn't call it the Bible. What did they call it? The sacred scriptures. Scripture means what? Writing. The sacred writings, or the holy writings, scriptures. And when Jesus when Jesus and his apostles really wanted to nail down an argument and and make it clear that that folks if you're if you're hearing these words you have to believe what I'm saying and you have to obey it what would they say as the scripture says. Because what the Bible says God says God spoke, men wrote. The Bible then becomes, or is, I should say, the very Word of God. You, you remember how it was back in, with the Ten Commandments? The, Moses was up on the mountain and in Exodus 32 it says that the tablets of the Ten Commandments were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. So God wrote His Word. And then the prophets came along. And what they prophesied, they wrote down. Then the apostles came along. And what they revealed and what they taught was written down. And so we as Risen Hope Church, along with Christians for thousands of years, we stand right here. We stand right here. We, we believe the Bible to be the inspired, the inerrant, that means there are no errors in it, the inerrant, authoritative Word of God. God has spoken the mysteries of His love in the pages of His Word. We are to learn it and love it and live it. And it's right down to the words, folks. It wasn't just that God revealed ideas to Paul or ideas to Peter. No, it was the very words that they used. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, "...but we, apostles, impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Now we have received the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God." And Paul writes, "...we impart this in words." not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Paul's words were inspired by the Holy Spirit. His writings were God's words. So in 1 Corinthians 14, he asked, Was it from you that the word of God came, or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are the command of the Lord. Paul's words, his writings, the Lord's command. Or the most clear expression of this anywhere in the Bible, Second Timothy 3. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus all scripture is breathed out by god and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction for training in righteousness that the man of god may be complete and equipped for every good work here we stand all scripture is breathed out by god what scripture says god says god breathed it out he he it came from within God. It came from within His mind and His thoughts and His words and oh, there's the word. Over a period of 1500 years and 42 different men but oh, there's the word. And that word we now by amazing miraculous preservation through 2000 years of intense attack That word is now right here. The Lord has spoken. God has spoken. What God spoke, men wrote. And we hold his word in our hands. I am with Matt, who led us in worship this morning in loving statements of faith and creeds and confessions. These, to me, are significant um, protectors of the church and protectors of the truth. And Risen Hope Church embraces the same statement of faith that Covenant Fellowship Church embraces, that is the same statement of faith that Sovereign Grace Churches... My my sentence is all confused there... Um, Embraces, I think, is what I wanted to say. And here's, here's our statement of faith about the Bible. Follow this. We accept the Bible, including the 39 books of the Old Testament and the 27 books of the New Testament, as the written Word of God. The Bible is the only essential and infallible record of God's self-disclosure. It leads us to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ being given by God. The scriptures are both fully and verbally inspired by God. Therefore, as originally given, the Bible is free of error in all it teaches and all believers are exhorted to study the scriptures and diligently apply them to their lives. The scriptures are the authoritative and normative rule and guide of all Christian life, practice and doctrine. They are totally sufficient and must not be added to, superseded or changed by later tradition, extra-biblical revelation or worldly wisdom. Every doctrinal formulation, whether of creed, confession or theology, must be put to the test of the full counsel of God in Holy Scripture. Here we stand. This is what risen hope, God has spoken the mysteries of his love in the pages of his word for us to learn and love and live what God spoke, man, wrote. I want to pause here to make sure that the implications and effects of this hit home to us. There's there's a wonderful text in the Old Testament Exodus 33, where we read this. Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. Thus the Lord used to speak with Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. This, this passage just affects me. It, it is just a glorious text. It's awesome. And you've got to love Joshua. He would not depart from the tent. Why? Because it was in the tent where God spoke. Spoke to Moses face to face as with a friend. And you and I can be tempted in hearing this to think, Oh man, with envy. Oh man, that God would do that today. But friends, if you understand the scriptures, what they are. God spoke. Man wrote. That means if you will, that this is an abiding tent of meeting. This means that every time you pick up this book in your quiet place of devotions and, and prayer, it is a tent of meeting. It means that every time you study God's Word and meditate on God's Word, that is a tent of meeting. It means that every time you hear the Word of God preached to the degree that the preaching is faithful to God's Word, spoken in accordance with God's Word, with the heart of God, with the love of God, for the people of God, and for the glory of God. To the degree that that's happening, it's a tent of meeting. God is speaking to His people. Holding a Bible in your hand is in a very real sense being in a constant holy place. Because it's the one time And it's the only time in our life and experience where we actually hear stuff that is absolutely, unfailingly true. No other conversation you have with anybody, can you just enter that conversation and say, I'm gonna believe everything I hear. But here's one conversation. Every time you open your Bible, you can say, I'm gonna believe everything I read. Everything I hear, because God has spoken. And it's written in His Word. We don't understand our doctrine of Scripture sufficiently unless we think of it in these terms. When I read my Bible, God is talking to me. And it is just as real, just as significant, just as powerful, as if He were to open the heavens right now and talk to us from heaven. This is what we believe. This Bible is God's Word. God spoke. God has spoken. What God spoke, man wrote. And then number three, when God spoke, he told a story. When God spoke, he told a story. The Bible is essentially at its core a revelation of the unfolding drama of God's love for his people. It didn't come down to us, friends, out of heaven all in one complete peace. It came to us over hundreds of years through many different authors. And with each new inspired writing, there was a little bit more of the story told. A little bit more of the character of God revealed. A little bit more of Jesus revealed. A little bit more of His love revealed. A little bit more of His glory unveiled. The story Unfolds. That's why Paul says here that he received things that had been hidden before. What Isaiah got and Jeremiah got. Do you know you know more than Isaiah did? Do, do you realize the privileged place you and I are in today? We, we know more than David, than Moses, and Isaiah, and Jeremiah because now the story the full story is told what a story it is it, it starts there's a kind of prequel to the story eternity past before God made anything and there was God all by himself But not quite all by himself father son and Holy Spirit one but three living together, if you will, in eternal perfect love and joy. And in the fullness of that love, act one, creation. And the love and the power and the goodness of God overflowed and He spoke a universe into existence and He made it magnificent, He made it glorious, and then he created a planet within that universe called Earth. And then on that Earth, he created a garden, and in that garden, he put Adam and Eve. And and he said, "I want you to be my image bearers in this world." He created a paradise. And he said to humans, "Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Only follow me and obey me, but enjoy it." Act two the fall where in Genesis chapter 3 Adam and Eve brought into the story sin and willfulness and defiance said to God no we're going to do it our way and the effects of that have been with us to this very day all the sorrow and all the suffering and all the misery all the heartache and heartbreak that we experience on planet Earth can all be traced back to act two, to chapter two in the story. Chapter three, promise. In the middle of the fall and all the sorrow, God says there's going to be the seed of the woman. There's going to be a child born to a woman who would come and deliver his people and crush the head of Satan the enemy of God in this story and then there's act 4 preparation where, where God chooses Abraham and Abraham's descendants to be, to be a people through whom the Messiah the deliverer would come and the rest of the Old Testament is about the combination of preparation and promise preparation and promise Savior's gonna come. Savior's gonna come. Savior's gonna come. In the meantime, be faithful Israel. Be faithful Israel. Savior's gonna come. And then comes fulfillment in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All the preparations over, all the promises of a coming Savior are now to be made complete. And there is a virgin who gives birth to a child and this child shall save his people from their sins. He shall crush the head of Satan. He shall live a perfect life. He shall die an atoning death. He will be raised from the dead triumphant over all. He will ascend up into heaven. He will reign in glory. He will make every enemy his footstool. He will triumph over evil. This is the story. That's the story. But even that's not the end of it because then then there's... Adventure and and, uh, advancement, we'll call it. Where this triumphant Lord says to his church, Now I want you to go and I want you to spread this story over all the earth. Tell everybody you meet in every nation on the planet, to every language group on the planet, tell them about me. Tell them about the hero of the story. Who so loved us as he gave his only Himself for us on the cross the hero who vanquished evil and death for us and then there's consummation then there's the culmination of it all where this hero returns in great power and glory and he creates a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwell where there will be no more sin or suffering or sorrow And he looks at his bride, the church, all those who have known him and loved him, and said, here's paradise remade and found and restored, and it's yours. That's the story. It's all summarized by Paul a little bit later on when he talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. The Bible, at the end of the day, is about Jesus it is a story about the eternal Son of God. Jesus says in Luke 24 that if you read the law or the prophets or the Psalms, they talk about me. Because the whole Bible's about Jesus. The whole Bible's about the hero. The whole Bible's about the king. The whole Bible is about the unsearchable riches of Christ. God has spoken the mysteries of his love in the pages of his word for us to learn and love and live. So I summarize. God has spoken. What God spoke, men wrote. When God spoke, he told the story. Now how does this affect us? How does it affect Risen Hope Church? Can I I just offer to you two or three applications and implications for us as a church and for any who would join this church? First, we aim to be a church that is under the Word. Under the Word. As pastors and as a church, we seek to be consciously under the Word submitted to the authority of the Word of God. We believe that God has spoken. And we find His will and His ways and His laws and His expectations in His Word. And that means practically that we need to live our lives under that Word. And so when there are opinions or decisions preferences or beliefs or traditions that we may hold, they need to be tested by the Word of God. They need to come under the authority of the Word of God. We need to learn and love and live the Bible. And so as a church, we are very aware of that. As leaders, we are very aware of that. Decisions have to be made. First question has to be, what has God said about this? What has God said about doctrine and truth and worship and ministry and outreach and gender roles and leadership and team building in the church? Or what has God said about character or work or just name it, what has God said? And we need to bow our heads and bend our knees before his word regardless of what culture is saying to us, regardless of what preference might say. What does God say? And here we stand, and here we bow. Secondly, we need to be a church committed to sound doctrine and true theology. Sound doctrine and true theology. 2 Timothy 3 says the scriptures are profitable for Doctrine for teaching. I know, the word doctrine and theology, they're really, people don't like those words nowadays. They sound way too formal. They sound way too, I don't know, uh, stodgy and stuck. And The word doctrine simply means teaching. When we talk about the doctrines of God's word, we're just talking about the teachings of God's word. And theology... That word simply means the study of God. And you know what? Everybody's a theologian. Remember, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Sheila. We don't have any Sheilas here, do we? She, Sheila, I mentioned in a message a couple of weeks ago. Remember, Sheilaism? We quoted Sheila, who said that she doesn't really believe in church, she doesn't believe in this or that. She believes in Sheilaism, which is listening to her own little voice which is telling her that she's supposed to love and care for herself. And that's really what God is interested in. That doesn't sound very theological or doctrinal, but I'm here to tell you, she's a theologian. She believes some very distinct things about God. Among them are that God doesn't care what we think about God. She believes that all that really matters in God's eyes is that we listen to our own little voice. She has a theology, it's just not a very good one. We are all theologians. You have a view of God. You have an understanding of who God is. The real question for all of us is, are we good theologians or bad theologians? Or are we growing theologians? Are we those who are so into the Word of God? Are we those that are so into the Bible, into the Holy Scriptures that we are taking our theology and our doctrine from His Word rather than from our preferences, from our instincts, from our impulses and the rest? It's not Shilaism. No, it is a reverence for God's Word. And we do love to summarize those teachings that's why as a church we do have a statement of faith and you can go on our website and read it uh, there's a few copies of it in the back as a family of churches we have several key core values that have to do with church and mission and gender and and family and these are these are things that are taught in the bible that we'd like to summarize to keep our heads clear in the midst of all the fog and the fuzziness of our generation. What does the Bible really say? Because we need to be committed to sound doctrine. God has spoken the mysteries of his love in the pages of his word for us to learn and love and live. Remembering that the mysteries of His love are made known primarily in the person of His Son, and in the work of His Son. Ultimately, what we want to do with our lives is to spend them studying Jesus, studying Jesus, learning all we can about the hero of our faith, the eternal Son of Folks, it is as we as we have this view of the Bible that the rest of life begins to clarify for us. It says as, as we, we get hold of this great, unchanging, simple, glorious truth that God has spoken. What he spoke, men wrote. What he spoke, story of salvation and deliverance. It's as we get hold of that, life begins to, to clear up for us. And, and we begin to approach the Bible in life differently so that when, when we read a promise in the Bible, we believe it and we stand on it because God has spoken. And when we see a commandment in the Bible, we bow before it. Why? Because God has spoken. Or, or where we see, where we see him, tell us what he is like and, and who he is, that he is all glorious and all good and all wonderful and all everything. What do we do? Well, we we bow our heads and we worship. Or we trust him because God has spoken. When he tells us what's yet to come, when he tells us of the new heavens and the new earth, when he tells us that the day is coming when all the brokenness will be healed, what do we do? In the midst of our brokenness and heartache and grief here below, what do we do? We hang on to hope. We hang on to God. Because God has spoken. And he cannot lie. He never gets it wrong. So where are you this morning? Where are you? You're walking around in the dark, needing some light. You're stumbling and bubbling along. I'm here to offer you a God who speaks. Whose word is sure of God who has spoken in such a way and had it recorded for us in such a way that you can know truth infallible and eternal Amen Let's pray Our Father Our Father Do what only you can do in our hearts convince us of the truth that we might stand on it. Give to every single heart here the gift of repentance and faith so that they will open your word And hear your voice and live and live and live. For your word revives the soul and gives light to the simple, to the ignorant, to all of us. Speak, O oh Lord. Speak, O oh Lord, we ask. In Jesus' name. Amen. These are